Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White and today myself, Simon and Stuart Pearce took a look back at the weekend's action with a particular focus on Arsenal's win over Manchester United at the Emirates. How important is Declan Rice to the Gunners? Where will Manchester United finish this season? And should Eric Ten Hag be airing his dirty laundry with Jadon Sancho in public? Plus, as Chris Eubank Jr. stopped Liam Smith in Manchester, could Conor Ben be next? We hear from Ben himself. This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. I don't know where to start, but we will start with Arsenal beating Manchester United 3-1, two stoppage time goals. Couldn't take my eyes off this. Um, We'll hear from Ateta in a second, but Stuart, I mean... A stuttering start to the season, pressures of a £105 million price tag for him. Was this an important moment of arrival for Declan, do you think? Um, Here I am in an Arsenal shirt now, get used to it. I I think it was an important moment for him. I wouldn't say it was was critical uh, in regard to him because long term he's going to be a massive asset to Arsenal Football Club over, I think, many years. So... I don't think you can judge him on a short period of games. But listen, he's a quality player. He scored a decent finish in the game. I always watch him and think there's so much more to come from Deck. I really do. You yeah. know, as a player and... Listen, he's at a very good football club now. I think he's come from a good club that was very good for him at the time as well. What what more do you think there is to come? I agree with you, Stuart, but you played the game at the highest level. What Mm. more do you think we we can see from him? I, I would like to see him just... Grab the game by the scruff of the neck at times, you know. I, I equate whenever I used to take a pitch, I always used to think I want to be the best player. I want to get man of the match. That that was, you know, you, you dealt with the player, you're playing against, and all those type of things. I wanted to be the best player on this pitch at the end of the game. Now, Deck's got to sort of keep striving for that type of thing. He he's got to go and if he wants to you know, maximise the price tag and all that type of thing and and get better and better. He might have to go and win games on his own on occasion. Sure. Um, Simon, as I said, I couldn't take my eyes off the end of it. We'll get to you in a second. This was Mikel Arteta post-match. He is a goal threat and I think 
first of all, I think the performance was brilliant from him. I think he was really present, really dominant. I think he really grabbed the game by himself and, and, and understood what it was needed. And then he produced a magic moment at the end uh, when the team needed it. And, and that's what big players do in, in big matches. I mean, Stuart has echoed what, what Arteta was saying there on Declan Rice. I mean, grab the thing by the scruff of the neck. I agree with Stuart, Simon. There's no telling what we're going to see from this boy. And if Declan is flying, Arsenal will be flying. We'll see. I think the main component he's got to add to his game is goals, isn't it? And of course, he's added one in a big game against Manchester United, so people will, will make a song or dance out of it. Yeah, I mean, he, they paid £105 million for him. He's not responsible for the transfer fee, but he's part of what they needed to add to their side or the perception of what they needed to add to their side to be able to push to the next level or to try and maintain the position that they were in. So is Kai Havertz uh, part of that equation. So it's interesting to see what the thinking is. But Declan Rice, to me... Is a is a is a top quality footballer, and I didn't I don't I don't characterise his beginnings at Arsenal as a stuttering start. I think he's coming into the side, and the side is beginning to formulate the way it's going to play, including him in it. So I look at it and say, okay, in that moment in time, the headline writing is Declan Rice has got a goal, and so as a result of that, his career is in liftoff. But I think he felt comfortable at Arsenal. I think he enjoys his time there. I think it's a far bigger club than West Ham, so it's a little bit of a change of direction for him with a different level of expectation. But I expect him to be a, you know, a significant part of whatever level of success we think Arsenal are going to get. I don't think Arsenal are going to win the league. I don't think they're in the same uh, stratosphere as Manchester City, despite the ramblings of Piers Morgan this morning about where Man City are and where they aren't, I think that ultimately, you know, Arsenal are still, are still uh, a side that's going to be chasing Man City. But that's great. We want them chasing Man City. We want them to make Man City work hard. And beating Manchester United of the world, which are a long way away from what we, what we, in our mind's eye, would think Manchester United would be, if you start scoring blows on teams like Manchester City, then I'll say, OK, then Arsenal are a different commodity than they were this time last year, which was a very good version of themselves, but still came up short. I, I said at the beginning of the summer, or, or the close of the season last year, Arsenal need to spend 250 million quid to, at best, maintain their position. That's what they've spent, and that's to, to some extent what I expect them to achieve. Mm. The big thing for me is, do, do, will they be able to deliver enough goals, and do they get enough goals and opportunities from people like Gabriel Jesus, who look great when he comes on when the game's stretched... But that's a different dynamic, as Stuart will be able to attest to. Not a bad scout for them to take, though, yesterday, Stuart. The result was brilliant, but I, I, I watched the game and, and I was frustrated with Arsenal, I've got to say, because United tried to play out from the back and did play out from the back. And on occasion, they looked a little bit vulnerable playing out from the back. And I'm, I'm sat there thinking, Arsenal were sat off them at home. And Arsenal have got more physical prowess within their team than United, I think. I think they should have gone for a blanket press and pressed more aggressively, personally. And the game, they'd have ended up winning the game comfortably. Let's not lose track of the site. There was a marginal offside that exactly. would have put United 2-1 up, yeah. which totally changed the game. Yeah. Literally, totally. So we look at the end result and say 3-1 result, great result. Could have gone either way. And I think if they wouldn't have gotten got full points, it would have been the fact that they didn't press United hard enough and aggressively enough in the first half. Simon, I was thinking, you know, complaints from managers over player welfare. These new added time protocols, have they not given football a new sense of drama? Has it not improved the product? You know, Rice gets his goal in the 96th minute. Yep. Jesus in the 101st minute. 
I mean, that's edge of seat stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, you know my view on the fact that it's preposterous. I don't know how these people have the gall to talk about the amount of time that's been added on as player welfare concern, when given the fact it's them that's making these minutes being added on. <laughs> but yes, of course, because when you start making substitutes, you know, back in the day, I would have kicked up rough if my manager started putting players on it in the 88th minute and paid them £5,000 appearance bonuses. But in this instance, you've now got players coming on the 87th, 88th minute, which will affect the game because you've got 15 minutes of a game to go. So it changes the dynamics of it. I don't think it changes it because players are tired and ultimately there's an expectation of a different outcome as a result of that. But it gives you this... You know, when, when you come to the end of the game, the fans are literally expecting a significant additional proportion yeah, of time yeah. for change or an outcome to be affected, which yeah. I think is an, in- an interesting dynamic. How long it stays and how quickly how quickly the penny drops with some of these players that actually maybe if we stop wasting time and we stop doing certain things, we won't be playing 10 minutes and all of a sudden it reverts to the five or six minutes that we've used to. We'll see. But I, yeah, I think it's right that there was an interesting new phenomenon and, and it creates a different dimension to the game. I, mean, I, I went to, sorry Jim, I went to the Luton game on Friday and it was a, an old school ground, an old mm. school atmosphere and the referee, I've got to say, refereed it fantastically well. He let challenges go, he wasn't nitpicky uh, about telling goalkeepers hurry up here and, and no one got frustrated or, you know, two minutes added time I think for yeah. the first half. You know, whatever it was at the end, but there was none of this nitpicky stuff. Referees now are looking to sort of go to the goalkeepers because they perceive the away team are going to slow the game down. In the game yesterday, he wouldn't have gone to the Arsenal goalkeeper and said, hurry up, because there's a perception they're the home team and want to win an, a high-tempo game. Right. But that's not always the case. Right. Uh, I mean, those who used to leave a game before full-time mm. are thinking twice about it now, aren't they? Mm. I the, mean, the, the scouts don't have to go till 90 minutes now. It used to be 80 minutes on the <laughs> clock, all the scouts are out. You can yeah. wait till 90 now, now in four well, you've well, got this 10 is minutes. Well, Sky had some aerial shots of some Arsenal fans walking mm. along the street on 90 minutes guys if you're amongst them you shouldn't have gone at that stage there was another 10 minutes to play but also you are seeing a marked improvement a massively significant improvement in the amount of time that the ball's in play yeah I mean okay you see Man City had 64% of the time the ball's in play 64 minutes So, you, but you priced that into it but there were other games where seemingly the, the marked difference of this approach is putting the ball in play for 10 to 15% more um, than was previously and that can only be what the end user, which is a broadcaster, and the fans want. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. When you look at it, Stuart, yesterday, they lose to Arsenal. And they lose in what was a late, late show. Mm-hmm. But then you look at their Premier League record away to the big six, under 10 hag. They lost 6-3 to Manchester City. They, lo- they drew 1-1 at Chelsea. They lost 3-2 at Arsenal they lost 7-0 of course they did at Liverpool they lost 2-0 at Spurs the list goes on this is last season they lost 3-1 at Arsenal yesterday what what is it telling us that away from home they can't do it against the big boys no wins in seven well what it's telling us is Manchester United are not the Manchester United of Alex Ferguson era that is for sure they're not the biggest powerhouse around at the moment there's two three maybe even four teams that, that are potentially stronger than them and the most Worrying thing for me, if I, if I was United, the other two games that they've played that they've won this year, Wolverhampton at home, which they shouldn't have done. If Wolves had a striker, they could have won that 2-3-0 comfortably. If the referee would have given a late penalty, that the game's a draw. And the Forest game, Forest 2-0 up in, in six minutes or so. So 
the alarm bells are there for about where United are actually going to finish in, in the division this year. Where do you think they'll finish? Is it impossible to, to say with any degree of accuracy they will be... Well, I think even with four games under their belt, I don't think you're seeing them in the top two. That is for sure. Um, and you're aiming for Champions League if you're them. Yeah. And, and that would be a, a successful season. I mean, the stats show, Simon, they can't do it against the big guns away from home. They don't win against the big guys. <clears throat> well, I mean, the two teams that we that we considered to be better than Man United last season were obviously the two teams that were better than them, which was Man City and Arsenal. So I'm not entirely sure why we'd be surprised that Manchester United got beaten by those sides. The fact they got beaten away by Liverpool and the fact they got beaten away by Tottenham, OK, fine, but they finished above them in the league. So in the great scheme of things, whilst these whilst these are interesting statistics for us, it was, you know, two years ago we were talking about this un, wonderful unbeaten away record that they had with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but it brought them the, the square root of bugger all. And so with that in mind, do we believe that Ten Hag has the ability to get this side closer to these sides at the top? Because I don't think anyone, any sensible observer, even the most obtuse of Manchester United fans, believe that they're at a stage where they're even going to get close to overtaking Man City. So what are we talking about? Are we talking about Manchester United finishing third again? Um, and is that awful? Well, it is awful in terms of what you expect Manchester United to be. Mm. But this is now cyclical. They don't have their own way. They don't have the issues. The, the people going on endlessly about the Glazers and how much the Glazers do and don't affect it. I listened to Gary Neville whilst talking about the offside lines yesterday being drawn, suggesting that in some shape or form, that was because of the Glazers. And the reasons why there's this vacuum inside the football club and the reasons why these outcomes are manifesting themselves as they are is because of the Glazers. No. It's because the players aren't performing at the level they should be. The management isn't doing its job and the recruitment policies are wrong. We're hearing people like Jaden Sancho coming out and talking about issues. Well, I wouldn't mind Jaden Sancho talking if he had a body of work to support any sort of pushback. He hasn't got a body of work. He's been poor since he stepped through the door. There might be reasons behind that. So you've got a whole culture... Do you think Ten Hag's an elite manager? Um, well, it depends what you think elite is. I mean, there's... Uh, for well, me, you tell me. Well, I think elite... The, the term elite like world class is thrown around like confetti too often too easily elite means that you're one of a kind you achieve something no one else can achieve we consider elite to be people get in the top four there's only really significant people that win the leagues those are the elite guys and you've got the next echelon of managers that probably ten Hag falls into that bracket of. is he best in class for Manchester United yeah no I don't think so I don't think so. I think he's a very capable and a very good manager but I don't think he's best in class best in class sits in the other dugout across the city I think best in class is Jurgen Klopp um, and albeit his performances in recent terms haven't dictated that, Chelsea haven't got best in class. Chelsea have got the best of the also-rans, which is Pochettino. Comes in, builds your decent side, get you close, get you a whiff of success, but won't actually deliver you an outcome. But if the record, if this is a record away from home against the big boys, say this was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's record, you'd be absolutely hammering into him this morning. Um, in the same way that I've made observations about Ten Hag, I made observations about the, the, his whole disposition last year and it got turned into some ridiculous parody of the observation that I said, which was his suit didn't fit him. My actual position was he doesn't look like a man that's pushing his chest out and doesn't look like a man that's strong in his position. Now, we can see that he's strong because he makes observations, he makes statements, he makes declarations, he seems to uh, have, have a view on the world, albeit the, the, the observations from those around the football world say, well... Why don't his wingers do their job? Why do they think they have a choice? Why do his wingers think they can do different things than perhaps Man City wingers think they can do? Well, he makes observations, Simon, and one of those was that he insisted that a wrong angle was viewed when Ganacho's late effort was disallowed for offside. I'm afraid, Eric, we've been on the PGMOL this morning who've come back to tell us, for the Premier League yesterday, five cameras are calibrated 
the main wide camera, both 18-yard box cameras and both goal line cameras. In other words, Stuart, they're all up and running. Of mm-hmm. course they are. Hawkeye can also use any broadcast camera to identify the point of contact with the ball by the attacker and synchronises all cameras for this purpose. All cameras. The broadcast cameras operate with 50 frames per second. So the point of contact with the ball is one of those frames inside the 50 per second. So in other words, offside is damn well offside. Mm. And Eric Ten Hag saying the wrong angle was viewed. Sorry, Eric. You don't know what they're using. You've no idea what they're using. The one thing you know where there is clarity, we we can sit here on a Monday morning and, and bemoan certain decisions, but near enough an exact science is the offside law. For me. Yeah. So I don't think you can overly criticise that. Exactly. It's a fairly straightforward sequence of events, Simon. But it's never been more precise than it is now. Yeah, I mean, I think that was the default setting of a disappointed manager. Um, and it's a default setting of every manager when they're disappointed. And some, sometimes I think that's excusable because you're being asked to comment on something directly after the game so your emotions will run the better of you. The other time I think about it is ultimately these things are things that you have to overcome and these are challenges that you have to be able to surpass. So I listened to what he said about the penalty. I didn't think it was a penalty. I didn't think it was... I thought it was offside. And I didn't think Johnny Evans was impeded. So I think all of those things were just the eye, the, the, the disappointment yeah. of, a, of a manager that went from looking like he was going to win a game and the whole conversation this morning, completely different conversation. We're all jumping on the Arsenal bandwagon, but there was that's the margins of top-end sports. If United had scored that goal and, and gone on to win the game 2-1, we'd be having a completely different conversation. So there wasn't that much difference between Arsenal and Manchester United. OK, Arsenal, Manchester United's performance was more atypical of an away side rather than a dominant... Mm. Um, but the scoreline is the scoreline. The scoreline is the scoreline. And I think the scoreline probably flatters the outcome to some extent. And the record's a record. And the record is a record. He can't beat the big boys away from home. But he finished third in the table. So irrespective of whether he can beat the big boys at home, some of those big boys finished beneath him in the league. So the question is, is... Can United bridge the gap between Arsenal and Man City to win the league? The answer is no. Will Man United finish in the top four? I would suspect so. Mm. Is that what we, in our minds, are? This idea that Manchester United now have some preordained, God-given right to be the champions of England, that's gone. That's gone. United are not... <clears throat> Ferguson is a thing of the past. <clears throat> you know, this Manchester United, again, to, re- to quote something I used previously, is like the Monty Parrot, Python sketch about, sketch about the parrot. It's no longer the same parrot. It's a dead parrot. Right. Ferguson is no longer there. Yeah. You know, and now you've got a whole new direction and you've got some very significant competitors that can match you on spending. So you've got to be better in every other department. And United, across the board, from their recruitment policy through to the manager and his coaching staff, aren't doing enough. That's why you hear rumblings like players talking out. That's why you hear Ten Hag operating in a certain way. That's why their recruitment policies are being criticised and critiqued, because it isn't the best in class. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. You'll hear Ten Hag now on why Sancho was dropped from the squad. This was him. Jaden was um, on his performance on the training. We didn't select him. You have to reach uh, a level every day on Manchester United, and we can make choices in the front line. Um, yeah, and so for this game, he wasn't selected. So, as Ten Hag, Stuart, saying why there was no Jaden Sancho yesterday, Ten Hag then goes on social media and says, uh, sorry, Jaden Sancho goes on social media and says, don't believe everything you read. Uh, I will not allow people saying things that are completely untrue. He says he's conducted himself very well in training this week. He respects all the decisions that are made by the coaching staff. Um, he says, I'll continue to fight for this badge no matter what. That was Jaden Sancho. But something's mm. wrong here, isn't it? You would think so. The one thing surprised me that he didn't leave the club in the last transfer window. I thought he'd have been on his way. Um, quite often when a manager and player sort of fall out, I always err on probably the manager because the manager probably sees things from everyone's perspective. The player sees things from their own perspective. And if he thinks that the player's not hit the standards he should have done, then there's only one person picks the team, the manager. But Are you, that, you've been a manager though, Stuart. Yes, would, I have. Would you call him out in a presser like Ten Hag did? Well, you're going to get asked a question. I'm sure he didn't offer it up. He got asked the question, where's Sancho? So yes, you've but, got to answer but, it and but, be uh, as honest as you can. The general principle it. of managers criticising players in the media is frowned upon by by the football fraternity. I don't think there's a problem with it. I think that it's character building at times. So you've got to use it when you need to use it. But you, do you have an issue? Because one thing, him choosing to answer a question, if someone asks you an in a press conference why the player isn't playing, you can just simply give an answer that's nondescript and move on. You don't have to be specific and explicit like he's been. He's chosen to be so. So if that's the case, do you are you, do you are you happy with him suggesting to the rest of the world that the player's training isn't up to the standard that he should be? Simon, the other side of that is potential bending the truth or lying as a manager. And and I know sometimes you've got to be protective to yourself, to That's your football trade, club and to the player. No, I don't think so. Not well, for everyone it, is. it Come isn't. Come on, it is. You, ultimately, you know, you manipulate the truth to be able to manage the circumstances because you have to spend your entire life prostituting yourself well, to manage the players. Put it this way. He could have turned around and said he's got a slight niggle. You're lying. Yeah, well, he's volunteering information. It, 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 ultimately, you're lying if someone says, well, I've heard he hasn't got a niggle, yeah. so what do you say to that? Listen, and then you're lying. All the time, you cannot 
and you've got an ulterior motive on occasion as a manager. Sometimes you protect the players, sometimes you turn around and say, he's not been up to standard in training, and those words hopefully arrive at But what at is the Sancho. purpose of that? Because ultimately, that's, that's a very easy conversation to say to the player. Which they've had. In your relationship with the player, ultimately the player's going to respond to you and you alone, if that's, going to be, yeah. if that's a mechanism you need to deploy as a manager. right? So you have this conversation, and then you decide which, by the way, I'm in favour of, you decide that you're going to put it into the media. Mm. You're going to bring the world's attention onto it. So now you've orchestrated a situation with players in this modern era where they're islands in their own right economically. So yep. they won't put up with this. Yep. I think that's wrong as well. I think they've got to learn to take their own medicine at times. And you've now created a situation where the media now have got a manager turning around and saying that the player isn't training properly. The player rebuts that, accuses the manager of making him a scapegoat, and you have a situation that has, seems to have a zero-sum game in it for anybody. Mm. Well, the bottom line is he's not getting much out of Sancho and hasn't done for the last year. So what's he got to lose? Mm-hmm. It's a shame he didn't start trotting this out, though, Simon. At Manchester City, Sancho's future there was in doubt. He failed to turn up for training on several occasions. Um, following Guardiola's decision to leave him out the club's pre-season tour of the US at Dortmund, he was dropped. He was fined 86 grand by Dortmund yeah. after arriving late back from international duty. Sancho was quoted in the Telegraph. Uh, saying in Germany there are a few things I need to work on little things where I need to be a bit more professional slowly but surely as I get older I feel like I'm learning new things he turned up late for Southgate in England let's not dispute the versions of events that the manager's given let's 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 analyze the reasons why he's given them to the media and then why the player has bitten back rather than accept it because Ultimately, it's not about whether Ten Hag is lying or whether Jaden Sancho is a model professional because, as you quite rightly have done, you've just been able to prove a body of work that suggests that ultimately there's form for this. And, of course, you've got a player that's played 50, 60 games for Manchester United and hardly set the heather on fire. And there's people questioning his ability and people are now looking at what Manchester United have bought at 75 million quid and so they bought a pup. This is the same player that Ten Hag sent out to Holland last year to get his mind right and had enough investment in him to actually send him to a place that Ten Hag has come from to be able to get this player into the right position. I don't understand why it's the case. The bigger question is, is what is the purpose of Jadon Sancho coming back and making the observations that he's made? That's right. When it's very, very easy... Well, right of reply. Well, right of reply, you know, again, you know, everyone's got the right of reply, but if you open your mouth and you say something ridiculous, what's the benefit of that? Yeah, but if and Ten Hag was... went public, shouldn't But, but the ultimate authority in, in the club, in the football operation, is the manager. And that, by, by, by Jadon Sancho coming back and saying something, I think it goes to the credibility of the manager's control over his players and the culture in Man United at this moment in time where there's no acceptance of their own responsibilities. Is there any way back throw... for Sancho? Yes, there's always a way back for footballers, always. But the manager might turn around and say, look, I've gone out on a limb with Ronaldo and and put him out the team and out the football club, basically. And big call from the manager. As Simon said there, he's back Sancho, he's tried to help Sancho last year, and sometimes as an individual and as a manager, because I've sat in that seat before, you think, I've gone out my way to help you, and all of a sudden... You've come back in and he's not happy with what he's seen in training, so he's left him out. You feel let down and disappointed, by the way, and sometimes you get a bit of frustration off yourself and think, I'm not going to back you up anymore. And by the way, this example... Right, so he was right, Ten Hag was right to say it? I think so. Well, yeah, I mean, if, 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 if he's right to say it if he knows what the outcome's going to be. 
it's really easy to go around flinging around authority and anyone can give someone a telling off. But if you don't know what a reaction is going to be, what's the point of it in the first place? You need to be doing it to get a reaction. If the reaction is you get a player biting back and saying what he said in the media, then I'm not entirely sure what you've achieved. Yes. And I'm not entirely sure that the example was put up by Alex Crook yesterday about Marcus Rashford responding to it was a particular uh, poster boy moment because it took Marcus Rashford months to get himself together. He spent months in a difficult state of mind, in a petulant state of mind. And it may have well been that Ralph Ranjek was not the perfect coach. But it took him a long time to get the penny to drop yeah. about where his performances were against where his attitude was. I think with Jadon Sancho, he's not a Manchester United player. He's not good enough to play for Manchester United. And that's the underlying problem. And what you're trying to do is square, squeeze a round peg into a square hole. The best thing they can do is recognise the fact that the player isn't good enough at this level and move him on. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Now then, Carl Froch and George Groves are back on the TalkSport Boxing YouTube channel as the verdict returns. The boys review Eubank Jr.'s 10th round stoppage win over Liam Smith and Froch tells uh, Smith his career is over after that hugely disappointing defeat. Taking three stone off, 42 pounds in weight, being that drained. Well, not only is it dangerous, but it's also, it's also kind of conning the fans and cheating the fans and the public that and you're there to put a performance on when actually you've got no chance of putting a performance on. It just wasn't good enough from Liam Smith. I was disappointed with his performance badly. To be honest, Kyle, this felt like what I thought the first fight was going to be. There was no urgency from him throughout the entire fight. There was no change of attack. You're wondering, oh, is he building into the fight? Is he starting slow? Is he trying to set traps to almost survival, really? For me, his career is over. That's my opinion. I don't think there needs to be a third fight. Well, that's the latest episode of The Verdict with Carl Froch and George Groves. These two salmon great foes, but now great chumps. Indeed they uh, are. It seems. It's out now in the TalkSport Boxing YouTube channel. Do you think Froch is right? Hugely let down by it. And the fact that Liam Smith didn't really turn up. Well, I should, I, you could make the same argument for the first fight about Chris Eubank Jr. Fans could have been cheated by the fact that he wasn't at his best for that particular fight. I mean, I think there is a case for a third fight because if you're going to give Chris Eubank Jr. all the excuses that was given in the first fight, which was weight, cut, referee, elbow in the face, whatever else, then why doesn't that same same thing price into the Liam Smith that went in that ring that, that had been injured twice before that fight, that had a weight, weight cut, and clearly wasn't the same Liam Smith? Clearly. Doesn't diminish the performance that Chris Eubank Jr. put on into that in that in that fight. But if yeah. Chris Eubank Jr. is yeah. 30% better, which he was, yeah. and Liam Smith is 30% worse, you've got a vast gap and if we're talking about the nature of this event, then he's had one night, and so has Chris Eubank Jr. It's one all. Nothing was determined. You're talking about a boxer going in there that's not given his best and was a mile off it. Well, I think he gave his best, but he's just, he was just miles off. Yeah. Do you think there's an onus on the on his backup trainers and whatever to say, look, he's just not at it? They know what's gone on in the lead-up to the fight. Or do you think, look, we've taken the fight, we've got to take but it? But I think there's a raft of things. If you listen to the explanations, I think none of them are particularly satisfying. You spoke to Paul Smith afterwards, I did, did you? Yeah. What did but he it, say? A variety of things. Some of them I'm not going to repeat because it was something he said to me privately. But they weren't. This, the fact is, is that I said, uh, not as loud as I should have done, why is no one talking about um, Liam Smith and the fact he's been injured twice before this fight as a factor? Because everybody, all, this, all the voices, including Carl um, and including Johnny Nelson, all the boxing voices were saying... Liam Smith walks through this fight. I didn't. I said, I think if Eubank 
shows what Eubank uh, is about, I think he'll win this fight, but I think it's going to be an interesting one to see if Eubank's got the resistance, and so it proved. And as the week went on, I was thinking, listen to Johnny Nelson, listen to all these so-called guys, that are, so-called guys, guys that have thought, well, they must know better than me, so you start to change your mind. But the point is, is that I wonder why Liam was walking around 42 pounds heavier. I don't know why Liam would be 5 foot 9, 14 and a half stone, because that to me seems like quite big. But the point is, is that he went into this fight, they believed that they could win it, but he had nothing. I mean, it was, as good as Chris Eubank Jr. was, Liam Smith had nothing. No. He had nothing from the, not even from the second round. He had nothing. There was nothing there. Have a listen to this. This morning, and we know we like Conor Ben, right? We're agreed on that. Um, I, I do. Conor yeah, like Ben, he's been through a lot. So this morning I thought, I wonder if Conor will give us his view of it. And Conor Ben, to his credit, did. I spoke to him a short time ago and asked him what he thought of events in Manchester with Eubank Jr. and Smith. Smith looked injured. Uh, you know, he looked like a wounded soldier in there. You know, it'd be interesting to find out what actually went on. Eubank done what he should have done first time round. But Smith looked injured from the get-go. You know, he didn't look at the races. And if it took Eubank 10 rounds to get the job done, uh, you know, that ain't really that impressive. Um, considering Smith only threw 33 punches in the whole fight, or landed anyway. Connor, did you expect it to be so one-sided? I hear what you're saying about the possible injury to Smith, but it was so one-sided, wasn't it? It's hard to take anything away from it. Uh, it was clear to see, you know, based on Smith's whole career, that, you know, he wasn't at the races, and, you know, he may have picked up an injury in the fight. So, you know, I, I don't take much away from that. It was like it was like Eubank was hitting a punch bag in there, so... You know, there weren't no counters. There weren't no, you know, evading the shots, no counter shots, you know. So for me, it was, um, yeah, he'd done what he needed to do. Uh, but it still took him 10 rounds to get um, a one five four fighter out of there. What was the atmosphere like, Connor? It seemed to be special again. It was great. It was a great atmosphere. You know, I, re- I, I went there because it's great for boxing. Yeah, it was an unbelievable turnout. I mean, it was, it was 50-50 splits. You know, Eubanks obviously got the booze. And Smith got the cheers, but by the end of it, Eubank got a few cheers. I was quite surprised. Connor, it begs a question this Monday morning. Who's next for you? Would you want Eubank Jr.? Oh, 100%. I don't believe I need a warm up fight. Um, you know, given everything that's going on um, and has gone on, I'd like to do it here for the supporters, for everyone who's continued to support me through this period. You know, a December massive showdown would, um, you know, be a treat for the fans. So we're going to see you again soon. Most definitely. Most definitely. So, Simon, when you hear that from Connor this morning, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure, 100%, I'd want Eubank Jr. What do you think fight fans would want more? Eubank Ben or Eubank Smith 3? I think a lot of fight fans would like to see Connor Ben clear his name. I think that's what a lot of fight fans would do, rather than use a technicality to get out of underneath. I don't want Connor Ben in this situation, but I don't want this preposterous assertion that he's cleared, his, cleared himself because he hasn't. And the idea, what I, you know, I made observations about Chris Eubank Jr. A lot of people are saying to me, is he a charlatan now? Well, what I, was, what I was incredibly impressed by his performance, because you've got to give it to Chris Eubank Jr. He was on a different level to the fighter that went in there in the first fight. But then Liam Smith was on a completely different level as well. So you're not necessarily comparing like with like. And if he's not a charlatan, I don't understand. I don't understand the logic of immediately after the fight, calling out Conor Ben, calling out Kel Brook, and calling out Gennady Golovkin. None of these are world title fights. None of these are, 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 are progressing his career. All of these are money fights. Conor Ben seems to have gone up to mythical status. Conor, Conor Ben's like the archetypal footballer that's been injured for six months and gets better and better and better the more he's not playing. 
Connor Ben, with due respect to Connor, was on a very decent career path, was beating at a few names that were on their way down. But Connor Ben is no mythical beast that everyone's got to fight. He's a fighter with some notoriety right now. And Kel Brook hasn't fought for two years, and six months ago, Kel was in the pits of despair over situations in his personal life of drugs. Neither of these fighters are fighters that Chris Eubank Jr. should be calling out. He should be saying, I tell you what, I've just shown the world I can fight it this way. I tell you what I'll do, because I want to win a world title, because I'm about world titles. I'll call out Jamal Charlo for the, uh, you know, the light middleweight title. Well, because that's, they... where, that's a legitimate fight, because I want to be a world... No, I want to get paid, and this is the thing that I have a problem with Chris Eubank Jr. over. The performance brilliant on Saturday, did the job. Liam Smith, disappointing. There should be a third fight. If there's an appetite for a third fight... Do you think there... But is there an appetite? Depends. After what we saw on Saturday night? Dep- well, we, well, after what we saw... After what we saw... Fury Wilder, yes, and we saw After it. what we saw in the first fight, was there an appetite for the second fight? Because Eubank sold it on the basis of what he could be, what he should be, and what he would be. OK, he was. Liam Smith took a fight, and he says, and I don't think it's a great reason, I don't know why they didn't bomb the fight out. The only person that wanted the fight initially was Eubank. He had the rematch clause. I don't know why Chris, uh, Liam Smith didn't turn around and say, I'm not ready. He said, I'm not. the reason why he said I had to make the fight on September the 2nd, even though I wasn't physically fit enough to do it, was because Chris Eubank would go somewhere else. Well, let him go somewhere else then. Where was he going to go? Fight Conor Ben. Conor Ben might have an American licence, and he might get permission to fight in his country. Likelihood, he probably won't, because the British Boxing Board of Control have rejected and, and, and appealed against the initial decision. I think there's lots of questions that should be asked of where Chris Eubank Jr. is going next, but his performance on Saturday was very, very good against a very, very poor Liam Smith. He says he would fight Golovkin. He would love to fight Golovkin now. But Golovkin got a world title. What's he fighting Golovkin for? I thought he wanted world titles because he wants to get paid. I don't blame them. Yeah, but having said that, you pay money to see that. You sure. Play junior against Golovkin. But why don't you call sure. out? But why don't you call out Charlo? He's a world title holder. My issue with Chris has always been, which is where the Charlatan comic comic came from, was you keep on telling people what you want to do. You keep on telling people about how much money you've made and how much your house in Las Vegas is. What about the world titles that you say you're going to go after? And now you're calling out Conor Ben and you're calling out Kel Brook. And you're calling out a 41-year-old Gennady Golovkin that's not even a world title holder anymore. Why? Because you want to get paid. And that's what it's about. Fantastic. But it's not quite the same thing as being about winning world titles, is it? Don't all boxers want to get paid? Well, why can't that's you why do, Fury's going in with well, your man for paid, the MMA. He'll get paid against Jamal Charlo, who's the undisputed, or certainly a two- or three-belt holder of the light middleweight division. Why are they fighting him? He just proved he can fight at 160. He looked brilliant. He looked absolutely in condition. He's clearly listening. He's got better trainers around. All the things that his dad was worried about, Chris is clearly doing now. And you saw it in a performance against Liam Smith. So why aren't we talking about something better than that? Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. We'll be back tomorrow. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.